0: If you ask me, do you want a crypto fund or do you want Adidas? I want Adidas. This idea about play to earn and play whatever to get something, it was cool to start to bring the Web3 gaming to mainstream, but it can't be the future. It's impossible to support it, you know, for 20 years, only extracting value.
1: Gambling and gaming.
0: In Web2, people pace to have fun, to be entertained, and to compete. How can I say this without hurting the feelings of a lot of people?
1: Hello, today we have uh, Fred and Punx, so the CEO of uh, Rio Fever, the Portuguese web uh, WebTree uh, gamified sports ecosystem. So, building since uh, 2015 had incorporated also blockchain mechanics so we will talk about this a lot also it's a startup that fundraised uh, already total 15 million and also it's um, already 5 million in downloads in total as well so well thank you so much for having this this time with us today. You have been uh, already in um, uh, knowing blockchain like from 2009, right? So you've been a gamer by yourself, that's how you actually enter it to the industry, right? So tell a little bit about yourself, uh, tell about your also experience with blockchain, just a little bit of background.
0: So first of all, good afternoon. Uh, Thank you for the invitation. It's really a privilege to be here today. My background has two different verticals, one in university, another one um, in IT. So university, I came from philosophy, so it's a bit different from most of the people. But I have internet in my house since 1996. Uh, My parents were um, one of the first here in Portugal to have internet, and um, as a gamer, you know i've I've done all the generations since the mega drive and master system you know uh, consoles and um, first personal computers i had an, an ibm ps2 a 486 a pentium 2 a pentium 3 so i've done all that path and as a gamer i've been involved in quake 1 quake world quake 2 quake 3 arena rocket lounge uh, counter-strike from the original uh, Half-Life version and back to 2005 when World of Warcraft was deployed so I played the beta in 2004 and 2005 was the release of uh, World of Warcraft and World of Warcraft I was playing Night Elf Hunter um, in Alliance and it it, it is a moment where I personally get in touch with the Cypherpunk uh, movement so much before Anything connected with Bitcoin or whatsoever, you know, the origins are really the cypherpunk uh, movement. And from someone who comes from philosophy, understand the philosophy of the cypherpunks and what was their causes and what they were trying to bring to the world, um, and, and what kind of improvements technology could bring to mankind. That was definitely, you know, uh, something that worth a lot of studying. I didn't get in touch with Bitcoin in 2009. Um, I got in touch in 2005 and 6 with hashcash, which is a very similar protocol to Bitcoin in fact, but hashcash, uh, Adam Beck did it in 1997. Also Nick Szabo uh, deployed and published the first paper connected with smart contracts. And all those movements about trying to get a digital currency sometimes in a decentralized perspective, sometimes in a centralized perspective. But, you know, the problem that they were trying to solve out was really an alternative cash system, you know, designed for pure digital uh, environment and no physical environment at all. And um, there is a moment in the guild when this was more or less in the end of 2010, beginning of 2011, where someone in the guild, I was playing top five guilds in the world, a few world firsts in fact playing world of warcraft and there is a moment when a guy in the guild sends us a software says listen when you are sleeping run this and then you can trade um, this that you get running this software you can trade it for gold inside world of warcraft so back to that time gold inside world of warcraft was much much more valuable than any kind of bitcoin and we were mining Bitcoin to exchange it for gold inside the world of Warcraft. And that's how I get in touch with with Bitcoin back to that time.
1: If we see like Web3 gaming is uh, one of the most active apps right now, right at the moment. So how the industry, like the gaming industry has changed with uh, Web3 and with its mechanics?
0: I I think um, First of all, I'm a very conservative person, you know, most of the time. And when I say conservative, let me also explain what I understand as a conservative. Conservative is not the person who is not pro innovation or pro, you know, testing stuff that no one is doing. I love innovation and, and progressing and testing. But sometimes people want to jump into an industry that they don't understand because they don't belong to it they're just chasing money so if money is in gaming then we go to gaming if money is in fintech then we go to fintech then if money is in beer we go to beer you know so they just try to follow the trend you know to extract as much value as possible Um, my cause and what drives me is really the opposite which is not chasing the money but really chasing something that I that I love that I've been part in the last 25 years of my life and really something that I really spend a lot of time as an hardcore gamer. So I think the gaming industry, especially in Web3, needs much more hardcore gamers being part of it instead of money gold diggers trying to create games when they are not gamers, in fact. So uh, what I tried to surround myself in, in Real Fever was... To have really a core people that they were only all hardcore gamers you know not only me but for example our uh, game producer he was also an hardcore gamer he's still an hardcore gamer he plays like six seven eight hours a day today i'm not playing six seven hours a day i don't have time but from 1998 2000 up to 2012 2013 i didn't do anything else in my life but playing games right So I think this does not give me more knowledge or more, um, you know, I'm not more than anyone because I had so many hours involved into the gaming industry. But I think the level of understanding that you need to have when you want to push the gaming industry to Web3, it's much, much better if you've been an hardcore gamer yourself instead of just someone who heard that Web3 Gaming is cool and you will make a lot of money and then we jump in, right? So what we try to really to create in our products is, you know, um, from gamers to gamers. I know it's a very cliché phrase, but it's really the way we identify with it, you know. And, and today the games that we are creating with, with Fever Battle Arena is one very, very nice thing that motivates us a lot and me personally which is we, we created a game where and when our users are already be- better players than ourselves. And when you deploy something in a market that you try to invent, you know, a game design. So we've been playing Battle Arena since the beginning. We created it. And today we have people in the community who are much, much better gamers than ourselves playing Battle Arena. That, that for me is like, the best possible thing when you create a game, you know, is when your players are better than the developers of the game. That, that for me is magnificent.
1: All right. And what about like s- examples that could be like in Web3 um, gaming that is like new and like uh, could be like potentially disrupt the gaming industry, in your opinion? Like some use cases maybe. We will talk about also Real Fever, but like I in, think for now, like in general.
0: I think at at the moment we are really, really in a very early stage where speculation is more important than the gaming itself. So if you take a look at Web 3 Gaming, how much daily active users most of the game have is really, really very small compared to Web 2 games, right? So we don't have yet a title like Counter Strike or a title like Fortnite or a title like uh, PUBG in Web3 space. Why? Because the beginning is very speculative. So people, they, they want to jump in, not to play 12 hours a day, a specific Web3 game, but really to make as much money as possible out of it. And that is something that will need to change. Otherwise, the industry will die, because it's impossible to support it, you know, for 20 years, only extracting value. You need to create and generate value. And in the gaming industry, and this is a very important lesson learned from Web2, is the value that the company can generate is the the number of hours that every user plays your game. So once again, if you take a look at World of Warcraft or if you take a look at Counter-Strike, people play in general, in average, five, six, seven hours a day, and they don't need to be paid to play, right? So, this idea about play to earn and play whatever to get something, it was cool to start to bring, you know, the the, the Web3 gaming to mainstream, but it can't be the future. The future must be to have publishers and titles that will have people playing six, seven, eight, ten hours a day instead of people that is just, you know, trying to buy something for one and selling it for ten. That is definitely something that will need to change, otherwise it will die.
1: So, gambling and gaming, in this sense... Yeah,
0: exactly. Once again, I think it's the origin of the culture, you know. So, Web3 Gaming is very connected to traders and, you know, speculative um, people that is just in crypto, you know, to try to make as much profit as possible. They are not gamers, they don't play games. Eventually they have like a PlayStation and during the weekend they play some FIFA or some Grand Tourism, whatever. But they are not gamers. They are just casual gamers, not hardcore gamers. And I think what Web3 is still lacking a lot uh, in the gaming industry is really hardcore gamers. So there are some casual gamers and if you take a look at the most successful ones like Axie Infinity, for example, Axie Infinity is not a game it's just like you know something that you made something that you create something with the very very crappy graphics and and it works because it has a Ponzi scheme on the back end you know that is, is trying to to bring more and more and more people to the ecosystem but they're not gamers it's full of speculators so I think when we talk about the gaming we should be very careful with the words that we use so gaming is for gamers digital assets is for asset holders and speculative activities are is something that over time it will need to be diluted over high qualified users which in this case I consider the gamers because the gamer he's not looking for profit he's looking for fun he's looking for entertainment he's looking for competition you know and, and, and in web 2 people pace to have fun, to be entertained and to compete. So what I think in Web3 we are, tr- we are doing it wrong or we have been doing it in a very wrong way is we can't pay the people to play a game and to be entertained with. Because then you change your mind, you know. So your mind should be connected to I spend money here. I get my salary and part of my salary I spend it here. Not the other way around. I can't get my salary out of a game. you know. If I become professional, it's okay. But as an hardcore gamer, your time, which is a very precious asset, you should have the pleasure and the desire to spend it playing a specific game. And that's what we are trying to do.
1: Well, thank you so much for elaborating on this. Uh, so Rio Fever uh, started as a fantasy football game, right? So, and then you incorporated WebTree. So um, why why Vap3? How is it like really connected like sports and gaming in your case?
0: So um, the company was founded uh, in 2015 trying to bring a business model from United States of America of money leagues. So in in United States of America, companies like DraftKings or FanDuel, they really built a multi-billion dollar business with fantasy leagues the huge mistake that real fever did back to that time was to do not understand regulation in a very straightforward way and i can explain you this in a very very simple topic in the united states of america back to that time there was no sports betting at all there was just money leagues and fantasy leagues and what real fever tried to do was to implement the same business model in europe however the problem was in europe is illegal To have money leaks because there was sports betting regulation. Mm -hmm. So for the company to grow and have money leaks, the company will need to apply to betting licenses, and betting licenses per country in Europe, which is for a startup. It's crazy, you know. It's it's impossible to do it. So when I became CEO of Real Fever, um, I came here to solve out the problems and clean up, you know, the business model because. When I came, the company um, already had like 2.2 million in funding. Well, in fact, almost 3 million, but let's say 2.2 million in funding. And there was no invoice software at all. So the company didn't make even one euro, no revenue at all. And I spoke with a lot of people who were working here, also with investors who were sending money here and everybody was like, "Um, well, The goal was not to make money and my first question was so why are you sending money to here why is people working here if the goal is not to make money or if the goal is like in 10 years you are going to start to make money who is going to fund the runway for more and more and more time so for me i'm a huge believer in profitability you know i i can't live just with the money from other people i believe in sustainability And the first thing that I did back to that time was to secure contracts and install an invoice software. A company cannot grow without, you know, revenue, as simple as that. You can't have five, six, seven years, a successful company without revenue, you know, even if your technology is whatever. So back to that time, um, we secured some contracts. I think in the first three months when I came here we made the already 150,000 euros in revenue which was cool because in the f- five previous years there was no revenue at all um, and then it, Covid came and with Covid in, in fantasy sports it's a, a product that is completely connected with football reality and with Covid football stopped so our product would not work without football competitions uh, going live. Right. So that was really the trigger to say, listen, we need to stop this because this is a business model that will never work. This is a business model that is not sustainable and we will die if we stick to this. I was, I was following Roham, the CEO of Dapper Labs, um, almost since the beginning of CryptoKitties. I mated Kitties myself. And when they start to think about um, uh, NBA Top Shot, I said, listen, if in the United States of America they are making this for basketball, we, we also can do the same for football in Europe. Because Europe basketball is not that relevant as it is in the United States. And we know that football is the biggest sport in the world. So with our DNA connected to fantasy leagues in football, if we can get the IP from the football side, we can do the same that NBA Top Shot is doing for basketball in the United States. We can do the same in Europe, Asia, and South America for football, right? So that's how it started. You know, right after COVID, um, we, we we secured the IP from the Portuguese league, which includes goals from Bruno Fernandes, from Cristiano Ronaldo, from a lot of them. And then we immediately shifted to, to Web3, and that's how it started. Very, very natural, and also, of course, with my background and, you know, my, my, my passion for, for Web3, it was really the right moment, you know, to pivot.
1: Okay, uh, so what mechanics of Web3 have you incorporated? So it's NFT dynamic NFTs, right? So can you elaborate a little bit yeah. more?
0: So the first thing that before we deploy any product when you need to bring capacity to your company in terms of development, as to develop a specific technology. And one of the key features of Real Fever is we don't outsource anything. So if you open realfever.com and we do it everything by our own. And why am I saying this? Because sometimes there is a lot of companies that they have CEOs or CTOs from the marketing side but they don't know how to code, they don't know how to develop the technology. So they give the face, they sell the product in conferences, but in the end, it will be someone in India or Bangladesh or Pakistan who is coding everything for them. And then, and I identify that has a very huge risk for the consumer, and especially they are selling something that they don't really understand. So the first thing that we did was to involve everyone in the company with Web3. Of course, there was people that were already there, but even the ones that were just connected to Web2, you know, we need to give them like three, four, five, six months for them to adapt and to study the technology. Right after that, um, the, the, the tough challenge was to choose what blockchain would we use? And back to that time, BNB chain was about to start Binance Smart Chain back to that time, there was no Avalanche, there was no Polygon, there was no Solana, there was nothing.
1: What year was it?
0: Um, it was 2021, 2020, 2021. Um, and Flow blockchain, the one from Dapper Labs, we could not use it. Like, listen, okay, they are doing and we had shot there. It's a very centralized blockchain. So what what alternatives would we have? And for us, Binance Smart Chain was really the, the, our choice. Not that much decentralized, I admit that, but it worked great for our purpose. It worked great for the type of product that we were building and it, it is working so far. So um, we, we picked up uh, Binance Smart Chain and then we started to apply, basically here we, we, we use three different protocols, the 721 for a native NFT the eleven fifty-five for the tickets in game, and of course the ERC20 or the BSC twenty for, for our token. So those are the three main protocols that we use. But on top of that, all the technology that connects you know our backend to the blockchain. We started at the beginning with QuickNode. Then QuickNode was failing a lot. We moved to Morales. With Morales, we are close friends of Ivan. Ivan on Tech is a very well known person. He's a founder of Morales. So we used Morales and seven months ago we changed for Node real and, and Node real at the moment is the best one so far that we can use. So we've built a lot of not technology but we built a lot of lines of code to connect front-end using react connect the back-end using Ruby on Rails or uh, Node.js with QuickNode or Moralis to give us a sync with blockchain data to create what you see in realfever.com. But we do everything here, not outsource.
1: How many people you are?
0: Uh, today we are almost 60 uh, in different departments. Of course, the IT team is the biggest one. Um, but uh, yeah, around 60 persons.
1: So you want your own token?
0: we created our own token yeah
1: what was the utility of the token
0: well utility was very very simple fever uh, and fever is going to make two years uh, in a few days and um, fever has a very very simple utility It's the fuel of all the products around um, around the real fever and mainly it is used to buy packs It is used now to trade nfts in our marketplace And he is used for you to play battle arena with money leaks, decentralized ones, but still money leaks. So today you can use wagering, um, and people can play against each other with a token. We are going to scale it up for more, uh, tokens, but fever is really always, you know, the mandatory one for you to play battle arena, for you to buy packs and for you to trade NFTs.
1: Do you think that um, Tokenomics is different in, like, in gaming and sports? So how is it like, like depends on user behavior? We talked a little bit about user behavior, right, in gaming and like, what is your opinion?
0: If I could go back in time, like two years ago, let, let, let's put the question this way. If I could go back two years in time, would I make something different in the Tokenomics? Um, Probably yes but not in its economics um, I think the way we picked the power private investors there was a lot of mistakes there that is probably the biggest lesson learned you know um, and a lot of people close friends advised us about it and I probably I ignored a lot of those advices saying listen friend don't sell that much tokens to private people that is telling you that they are going to say do this and this and this and this and this because in the end they will do nothing and they will dump the tokens and that was probably the advice that I ignored the most and I will do it in a different way for sure. Probably I will not do any private sell. I will do you know a go to market straightforward without any private uh, placement before. The, the, the token generation in VET.
1: Why is it so?
0: Because you can't give sp- special privileges to people you don't know. And people that they don't have any bonds. They don't have any uh, connection with you. They just put money in your project in, your project, in the same way they put money in 100 more projects. They don't care. They don't care about what you're doing. They don't care about how much effort you are putting in a project you know, to be successful. They don't care. They just care about okay, they do ten times and then they dump. And they go to the next one. So they have a very alien, you know, a very alien approach of crypto projects. And in our situation, um that that was probably the biggest mistake. In terms of tokenomics is not really the issue. But the way that you commercialize it, probably that was my biggest lesson learned. And if I could go back in time. I will do it in a completely different way. And I don't regret, it's a lesson learned, but back to that time, we spent a lot of time thinking about, I'm not going to do a private sale. I'm going just to create an airdrop, you know, and I I do the token generation event and we distribute the tokens in a very decentralized way, you know, not doing private placements. And we did the private placements and that was a mistake.
1: Okay, that's a uh, very good advice perhaps for also for many startups to think about.
0: I understand why people do it. That, that was the main reason why we did it back that time. Because when you do private placements, you get like half a million, one million in funding, and that helps the project, right? But you become a hostage of that people. The cool thing about the bear market is they all dump, they go away, and then you 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 rebuild everything and with with most of the the wallets cleaned up, you know so today we are of course the top, the token dumped a lot, but we are no longer hostages of of those people, and that is cool
1: okay, so that's a uh, very good consequence of bear market yeah we'll talk about bear market a little bit even more, but first, I would like to. Uh, to talk about dynamic NFTs that is uh, so you use the moments right so you sell moments mm-hmm. of uh, of football games so what is your opinion of uh, on the dynamic NFTs what is like their role in gaming and also uh, what is their role will be in the f- in the metaverse
0: I would not consider our NFTs a pure native DNFT um, in fact because there is secondary data that we have on, on on our NFTs that they are centralized. So I think when when you create a native, dynamic NFT, all the data should be decentralized. And we don't have all the data decentralized. So what do we have? Um, our our NFTs they are connected with IP rights of video moments, of football players. The best ones and and for us the ones that. That have more artistic meaning in terms of you know scoring a goal how difficult how beautiful uh, how rare is is that moment mm. and uh, so we secure ip rights with a traditional centralized paper contract right and then we transform those videos into a new piece of art with our art and we register in the in the blockchain so that is our 721s Um, so when when the person is buying it the person is buying um, a piece of art with a specific call from a specific football player in a specific uh, moment in time or a goal or a defense or whatever it depends on on the player then and this was the beginning then our biggest challenge was okay only NFTs Are very speculative so what kind of utility what kind of usability utility is a very cliche word because everyone speaks about utility and in the end it ends up with nothing but our challenge was okay we have panini digital in one vertical packs and drops but what else can we do with our moments and the challenge was Do you know Magic the Gathering? Magic the Gathering, Hearthstone are trading card games, very successful in Web2. And our inspiration, our CTO was a champion here in Portugal, local champion in Magic the Gathering. So we started to brainstorm together about, okay, what kind of game can we create to bring usability? I hate the word utility. So usability, to bring usability to our moments. And as I said, you know, 15 minutes ago, how can we drive our users to spend four five six seven hours a day playing a game created by us because that should be the challenge it's not about selling assets not about trading volume no how do you create a high engagement around a product a game that you are building so we got the inspiration of earthstone we got the inspiration of magic the gathering Also, some cool things about Gods Unchained, because it's a very nice trading card game in Web3. And that's how we created Battle Arena. At this stage, Battle Arena is in beta, in a final process. We have a lot of people playing it. People who's playing it for 5, 6, 7 hours a day, which is our biggest objective. Um, and we just need to scale up. So for the next couple of months, we are going to deploy chapter one Also bringing a very important piece of the gaming industry Which is lore. Lore is a, is a storyline. It's a narrative You know, it's a fantasy place like Game of Thrones or Lord of Rings or whatever a very good title must have a very precious lore really well created so ten months ago we hire the lore team we have f- four people in real fever today just writing content lore what, who are the our superheroes why why they are there how do you play why do you play in this way what are the reasons behind it you know exactly to create the engagement with the user where he jumps into a narrative he jumps into a new world right and that's where the metaverse comes in so Regarding to the Metaverse, I don't know how much time the Metaverse will need to be implemented in this Web3 concept. The Central and Sandbox are really struggling. But to be quite honest, I am in the Metaverse since 2004 when I started to play World of Warcraft. So all this hype around Metaverse, there is a lot of bullshit in it. And the only reason is because these new people who's talking about the future of the metaverse they're not gamers because if they would have been playing World of Warcraft, Second Life, EVE Online or even the first one that was uh, Dark Age of Camelot, whatever they would know that metaverse is already here it's just not decentralized you know so you just need to create the economics on top of the Metaverse. And this is what most of the people who are talking about Metaverse today, they know nothing about what they're talking. Because, once again, I say this in a very humble way, but I have five years of my life living exclusively in the Metaverse and just eating food to keep my physical body alive. So I celebrated my birthdays online. I celebrated Christmas online. I celebrated Easter online everything online so i think for five years of my life and i don't have a problem to assume that i was really feeling myself as as a as a health and not as a human right because my avatar online was that one and what there is a lot of people missing is knowledge because they are just talking about metaverse because of money not as a consumer so i think (laughs) <laughs> Once again, there is always a lot of bullshit on these uh, things. Um, I think eventually Apple is pushing it a lot with the new glasses, the new Googles, right? A lot of companies try to do it. It's a huge test to Tim Cook, Tim Cook leadership at the moment to see if Apple will be able to deploy a, new, a brand new product after Steve Jobs because You know Apple is just surfing what jobs created not really new products to the market so this is a very very nice moment where Tim Cook's leadership is is being benchmarked if they are successful or not with these 3d goggles but whatever it happens metaverse is already here we just need to create the web 3 layers of economics on top of it to decentralize the in-game economies and move on but in terms of technology is already here world of warcraft has 20 years you know they deployed the last expansion like a few months ago uh dragonfly and and I, i'm i'm still playing so for you to jump into a virtual reality and be part of it with your avatar with your friends wherever it's already here since 2002 2003 you don't need the technology you just need to put blockchain on it and decentralized the way that you trade the assets in game instead of having Blizzard or Activision or any other publisher, you know, controlling the assets. So it's the only thing that we are missing. And I think what people was trying to do was really a different approach of metaverse. And that's why probably the, the hype is a bit gone at the moment, I think.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, it's all about perception. It's all about perception
0: and, yeah. And, and, and if you are part of it or not, it's like if you are not a gamer, if you don't sit yourself in front of a computer for 5, six, seven, 12 hours a day and that is not the source of your pleasure, you should not speak about it. The source of your pleasure should be connected with what you do, you know, as an entrepreneur. And, and that's what I try to do. So, for me, it's not a job. It's not something that I don't want to spend time on it, or I just do it because I need money. No, it's something that I do because it's my life, you know, it's my cause, it's my purpose. You know, I have just like two or three purposes in life, so I'm very pragmatic. So I have my daughter, I have my family, and I have my games. And the privilege that I have here is, instead of playing the games from the others, now it's the time for me to create a game you know so it's, it's really a self-pleasure much more than just money or being famous or you know being on stage talking about whatever it's really the the what drives you when you wake up in the morning and you do something that you really believe in something that you really love that's really what i try to do
1: that's very cool that's <laughs> th- that's very cool um so you you're talking about pleasure and engagement uh so gaming is a lot about also community right so Mm -hmm. celebrating birthdays online that you said so probably that's also been like right with uh, with the community do you think that web Three can bring uh like new network effects like does it bring additional value for um the community
0: community is The way that humans live on Earth. So we are not um, stealth hunters, we are not cats. We live as dogs, you know. We hunt as a pack, we work as a team. We have millions of years understanding that our survivability relies on teamwork. So we are not a group that lives by themselves in a single perspective. We live in society. We build things together, you know, and, and our evolution relies in the way that we can live together and respect each other. What sometimes, and this is w- what I really believe, and I know we suffer a lot because of this vision, but I believe it's just in short term. It's not in long term. Communities in crypto are built compound on a Ponzi scheme most of the time and people want communities because we need to grow our community because it will be more people buying our token or buying our stuff and then the ones who buy it first will have an opportunity to sell on profit with of the ones who buy it in the last and when this feed starts to struggle you know the Ponzi ends And I could give you thousands of different crypto examples about exactly what I explain you right now. I can't be part of it. It would remove all my pleasure when I wake up and I work here, you know. So we had to do it in a different perspective and once again the example of World of Horrorcraft is probably the best one that I can give you. I've been paying a World of Warcraft subscription since 2005 13 euros a month in a subscription since 2005 up to 2023 I never stopped paying a subscription and you ask me why you do that even when you are not playing because it's a tribute to something that I completely love it's something that I belong to. So I pay the subscription because I want to, have to keep the feeling of that I'm belonging to that world. Even if I don't have that much time nowadays to play. And these kind of emotions are much, much better in terms of business model rather than just build a community of people who put $5,000 in your project and they are stressing because they can't sell it For 10,000 so the community in real fever um, is by is made by a group of people that they are not only speculative people it's people that they are gamers and we don't have that many I admit that but over time we will have them because what we do is to drive gamers and passionate people that they are not just trying to extract euros or dollars from a product that they are spending time. You know, you need to create an entertainment industry in Web3. And not only gold diggers industry, you know. And that, that's the vision we execute here. If we fail, it's okay. We deal with that. But we never sold our values, you know, for gold diggers. And we would have never been gold diggers ourselves. And if I fail, it's perfect, it's okay. But I know that I never change my values for gold diggers instead of creating a really game changer in the Web3 gaming by the entertainment, by the lore, by the storyline, by by the game design and, and to have really a cool game that you become addicted to play. So that is our challenge. Feed, support, gold diggers will be much, much easier, much, much easier. But
1: is it sustainable?
0: Is it sustainable? Is it really a challenge for us? Because everybody can do it, you know? So for us, it needs to be a higher vision. It should be something higher, you know? And if we fail, at least I have the feeling that we gave everything we could the vision if we become successful which is what I believe we will it will take much more time we can't do it in one or two years but we are building the pillars you know for something much much bigger that we want to do and following the market expecting that the level of maturity of the community because community are made of people You know, and sometimes we we speak about community as a very abstract concept. It's like the community, the community, the community. Community is made of humans. Some bots also, but (laughs) most of them, (laughs) you know, some bots also. But community, when we speak, we are talking about human beings. And you need to have a qualified community for your purpose. And not just numbers not just volume. So it's better to have one thousand of qualified people instead of hundred thousand non-qualified people. You know? And what we always put it apart were gold diggers and speculators. You know, I want gamers. I, I want people who play games with passion, like I did and a lot of people in this company did. And and we are enabling them at the moment. Here is really for someone who wants to be part of a movement part of something that we are trying to change the world, and we believe we can. Let's see how it goes.
1: So you raised a uh, total 15 million, right? 15 million euro. And the last round, the uh, Series A Plus, that's worse just like in, in the end of the last year. So it's bear market already, and so everything is planned. But you are raising the, such an amount So how is a fundraising perspective has changed and why, why investors believe in you?
0: I think it's very simple. First of all, is the level of commitment, you know, and the type of qualified investor that you want to bring in. When you raise capital and if you have a product with good numbers, which we always have, um, you have the opportunity to choose what kind of investors you want to bring in, and we don't have crypto venture capitals in not that many in our capital. And the only reason is because crypto venture capital, which, once again, they are organized institutions, you know, who scaled up from individuals, but with the same mindset. We want to buy for one and sell it for 10 as fast as possible. And then we jump to another company. And gold diggers do not have a place here. If they are individuals or if they are funds, I don't care. We will not have a conversation because we don't share the same vision. They have different objectives. I can't deal with someone where they're superheroes our superhero currency or super dollar. Because in Web3 our drive should not be to have more dollars or more heroes. You know, should be how can we engage more people into crypto and in the end how Bitcoin adoption is growing on planet Earth and how can we grow an alternative system to the traditional euro or dollar system. When we picked up our investors, for me, it was much, much faster to identify traditional funds, institutional funds, and companies in web 2 or companies in sports tech industry who could help us to grow with a vision for 10 years, 15 years, because crypto funds they don't have that, you know so um, when we onboarded uh, Semapanext and when we onboarded the Advantage, it, w- it is a very nice story. With Advantage, um, they are funded by Adidas, a family office. So we have the privilege to say that indirectly we have Adidas in our cap table. And Adidas, for a sports tech company like us, Adidas is super strategic. Adidas is huge. So if you ask me, do you want a crypto fund? Or do you want Adidas? I want Adidas. Why do, do I want the crypto fund here? To pump the token and dump the token? That would be nice for a short term vision, but it will be catastrophic for a long term vision, right? Adidas no. Anidas has Adidasler as a founder, one of the biggest entrepreneurs of all time on planet Earth. So I want to have, you know, that inspiration. I have to. I want to have access to his legacy, to his family, to understand what is the culture behind a company like Adidas. That is much more inspirational for me. From crypto funds who are chasing dollars, what inspiration will I have to build a Ponzi scheme? I don't need help for that. You know, I don't need to be inspired to build a Ponzi. You know, it's. it's I could do it, but I refuse myself to do it. So. Adidas brings me a much better inspiration, in the same way as Semapa. So Semapa next is the biggest Portuguese venture capital. Um, Semapa was one of the first public listed companies in Portugal. Also from a family, uh, the Queiroz uh, Pereira family, full of entrepreneurs in Portugal. And, and that legacy, something that inspires me be a better person, to be a better interpreter, to be a better CEO. So I try to surround myself with people that they know much more things about the world than me and much better than just crypto funds, whatever Ponzi bullshit they want to build. So when, with this speech, it was very easy to onboard them because I, I don't change you know, my values and my values are never on sale for whatever reason or for whatever amount of money. I don't care. you know. I, I stick to what I believe. And of course there is progress. There is, you know, uh, there is change and, and evolution. But the core values is something that you can't put on sale. And the level of respect that you conquer in the people that you deal with is really based in your values. And then you just need to filter. There is people that they identify with your values and then you have a match or there is people who do not identify with your values and there is no match. So in the end, fundraising, (laughs) it works more or less like Tinder, you know? So you have investors coming in, you put like or not like, right? In their values, And they will also slide up, you know, like or not like in in your values. And when there is a match, then there is a conversation. So I think the only reason why we were able to, to raise capital two weeks or more or less in the same week that FTX went down was because of our values. Like we have investors for the next 10 years, not for the next 10 months so and whatever it happens with ftx or celsius or you know terra luna or whatever for 10 years one month is nothing you know
1: yeah that's i always say also to to m- founders that speak with me about fundraising that if you have a ver- like First of all, value proposition with your product and you really believe in your product, you always will fundraise. It doesn't matter, bull market, bear market, you will find your investors.
0: I think the biggest advice um, that, that I can give, you know, when you are raising capital, once again, back to the Tinder metaphor, is like, you can't imagine, you do a not like, but the person did a like on you. And then you say okay she did a like then i'm going to put the like to just to get the match and you can't do that it should be a genuine match you know and sometimes there is people that they are just looking for the money instead of looking for the product the right product market fit and if the investor says, listen, you should not do this, you are going to do this, they change because they want the money. And it is me who leads the company. It's not our investors.
1: Well, that was my last question about the advice, but I think you already gave to the founders and it was a very great conversation, like really pleasure. And Thank you so much for sharing your story and uh, sharing your insights.
0: Thank you very much. The only thing I recommend is for people to visit realfever.com, download Battle Arena, at least try out two, three, four games, and see if they become addicted and obsessed for it or not. Oh, thank, you
1: will. The will, the will. <laughs> thank you very much. They will. They will. Thank you.